Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Great to have your company wherever you may be tuning in. My name is Mick Collis and joining me as always, or most of the time anyway, the people's hooker, Heath Tessman. Tess, great to see you. Oh, excellent to see you as well, Mick. And where, what's what's happened to Mitch? We haven't heard anything of him from the weekend. He's buddy. Well, well, I know. Well, it'll be <laughs> seven three five. I know the the one eyed um, rugby commentator. So <laughs> he he is on his way, and he will jump in. He did send his apologies, but we will pick him up. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Not, not he's got to finish picking up all of his toys from around the cot, hasn't he? After <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can talk to him about that later on. Yeah. Well, the only thing better than sitting down to watch TV is sitting down to watch TV when there's a documentary about rugby on, and that's what we can all do this Thursday when Gold Digger, the search for Australian rugby, airs on Fox Docos via Foxtel and Binge. It was put together by a passionate rugby fan, writer, director, and producer Matt Durrant, and he joins us now. Matt, thanks for your time on the Rugby Wrap. Thanks, Mick, and thanks, Heath. It's a pleasure to be here. And funnily, just listening to you guys for that first minute made me realise how actually a bit boring and lonely I am on my podcast where I'm talking to myself. I actually <laughs> probably, it's time I need, I find a co-anchor because uh, it seems like a lot more fun. Well, you'd make a lot more sense on your own than if someone like Tessman and Mitch Hardy on it, but trust me. Now, mate, first things first, Gold Digger, what's it about and how did it come about? So it's a, it's a documentary, a feature-length documentary film, and uh, it came about in 2019. It was just after the Rugby World Cup had ended. I was, like many, a bit of a disenchanted um, Wallabies supporter, and it had been a few years where I was sort of kicking stones after games and, and just wondering, like, what's going on? Because, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm just turned 40, so I grew up in the era where we're pretty dominant. You know, I loved, you know, Gregan and eels and all those guys and you know i, I lived through the bledisloe wins and the and the world cup win and you know beating the lions and so for me that was the standard of where australian rugby was and then you you watch what's happened and i just couldn't sort of understand it didn't make sense to me because not a lot of things had changed we'd got more teams we had more professionals we had more money you know the game had gone professional so i sort of was just thinking well i'd like to kind of try and figure that figure that riddle out and and how do I do it do I write a book about it do I write a podcast I do a podcast and I you know I studied film at Curtin um, University in Perth uh, born and raised in Perth so you know I kind of went back to my film roots of well maybe I'll just try and make a film about it and it sort of spiraled from there because initially it was going to just be a you know short little 10 20 minute thing and and then the interviews piled up and more people said yes and you know we kind of got the me and my co-partner got the, the thrill of running around with a camera and interviewing people and going to games. And, and, and so all of a sudden it's become this much bigger beast. So, you know, and here we are now we're, we're about to, you know, premiere the film in to an Australian audience, which for, again, for a filmmaker is like an achievement mm. of itself because yeah, yeah. people make stuff that never sees a lot of day. Exactly. So that's interesting. You know, in our very detailed um, research that Pete Tessman and, and I did, I didn't realize you grew up in <laughs> Perth. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, um, you know, I, I, my parents sort of moved to Perth years ago, but me and my brother were born there. I, I played my, my first love was the Wildcats and the, um, and, and, uh, the, the West Coast Eagles, you know, I, I didn't pick up the rugby ball until I was 11 or 12, largely because my brother was playing and my dad and my, my first club was Calamunda rugby club. So I'm a bulls, uh, a bulls yeah, man. Right 
Um, yeah. And, and I, when I, you know, I, I'm sort of going back a few years because I left and moved to Sydney to play rugby and, and study. But, um, you know, back in, I, I still remember, and Heath will probably appreciate this, I still remember when um, Trevor Thomas, aka Dolph Lundgren, was still playing for Calamunda. So wow. that's sort of how back Truth. I can go. That's a while back because I played. I played with Trevor when he's he moved to when he came to yeah. university. We were second row partners at uni. Well, he's still he's oh, still right. he just he's still playing. He played in the third grade. He played on the weekend on the in the grand final oh. for third grade on the weekend down for Nettie's oh. against Wanneroo. So <laughs> Trevor's still out the there. Man. His son's been playing a couple of games of first grade over the last few years as well. Yeah, the man's a machine. I remember. I think it was him and his brother were playing first grade at Calamunder, and you know that was one of my first memories. Was going as a young kid. Dad would take me to the games, and I'd go into the changing rooms afterwards. And you know, you're literally I was five or six, and you're walking in, and people could smoke back in those days. Yeah. And just, you're presented with this room full of like naked men from sort of there's Fijians, there's Irish, there's English, there's Aussies, there's everyone. Smoke, there's you know, good, I can good, smell good, that good room. natured banter. And you know, I remember just thinking, and, and I had still hadn't played rugby. I still was mad about. I could have named every uh, West Coast Seagulls from like one to forty off the top of my head. But there was something about rugby that appealed to me. And then when I picked up the ball and played, that was it. You know, shut the gate. And um, so I've always been pretty passionate. Then I played at school. I went to Guildford, so I, I played at school there and then and then i found my way over to sydney because you know i was basically and this sort of is in the doc a bit mentry a bit because i sort of put my personal story in there i you know i was basically chasing the the dream trying to sort of move up the rung and this was before the force came along so yep. you know had the force been around and had there been academy systems i'd like to think maybe you know who knows because I, I made the i played uh under 14 state state we went on a a, a tournament to brisbane got smashed as, as we usually did back then and um <laughs> but you know i sort of i loved it and so when i went to sydney eventually and I actually played at sydney university it was all of a sudden i went from playing club rugby in in perth to the club rugby in sydney and mm. you know i remember saying morgan tiranui and wallabies after game and you're just like holy cow this is you know now this has felt like i'm in a real rugby environment but i think a lot's now changed in perth because you, you've sort of started to get that yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's funny, you, know, you talk about that because I, I grew up in Sydney. So I played Leaswood before I came across here. We sort of went the other way. And um, and I remember going out to the you know the rugby test on the Saturday and then on, on you'd go to TG Milner Field on the Sunday and you've got Brett Papworth and Steve Tymon, you know, running around. The, you know, I just watched them playing for Australia yesterday and, and here they are running around the same jersey as me. And just that, that's for me a, a big thing that, that rugby – has lost and you, know, you talk about this and Morgan Tiranu, it's it's amazing. There'd be so many of us with those same um emotions and memories about what made the game so great. Yeah, yeah. I must look, I, and I think this is where I've sort of tried to also factor that into, you know, as much as the documentary deals with Australian rugby and we look at, you know, the wall, and there's a lot of focus on the wallabies, but we do sort of touch upon, you know, how is rugby sort of still resonating with the average fan. You know, I've interviewed a couple of um, fans. I interview a couple of people who are, have, you know, had viral moments on, on, on Facebook, and just to get that other perspective, and that's sort of what the documentary was also meant to be, was a almost like a conversation starter where I interview a few ex players, some ex coaches, administrators, but also, you know, just a few kind of rug, passionate rugby supporters, so we can kind of just get all these ideas in the same in the same place, and and ultimately, all I can hope is that the documentary may not provide every solution but at least it just keeps the you know the conversation ongoing about um the game and, and hopefully people are might, might go away and think about it in a different way because that's certainly what it's done for me the last three years 
because we'll get to solutions. So what was your, I mean, I've had a look at the trailer and, what, and as you mentioned, then you, you speak to a lot of rugby luminaries. I know John Eels is, is on there, Fitzy's on there. So what was your pitch to them to get them to get on the on the docker? I, honestly, mate, I, I found an email or I'd, I'd call someone and get a number and it would just be, you know, my name's Matt Darren. I'm making a, I'm a rugby fan. I'm making a documentary. Would you be interested in talking to me? And, yep. and a large portion have just said yes straight away. A couple people didn't respond and dare I say it, I think they were probably people who are still in the media, you know, sphere. And, um, you know, I can understand that. I think everyone was always like, who the hell's this guy? I remember when I first spoke to someone from Rugby Australia and I, it was a media rep who I think is no longer working there because he, he, he left when they had a bit of a cull in 2020, but um, his first line was to me was, so what the hell is this documentary about? Because, um, <laughs> you know, obviously everyone at that point in time was a bit on on uh, eggshells about, yeah. it and, you know, who, who am I with? And I said, no, I'm, a, I'm self-funded. I'm doing this, for, you know, for love. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious. And, and, and so I think that resonated through so people could see that I wasn't sort of from a, you know, a broadcaster or a production house looking to sort of, yeah. you know, dish, like dish up mm. dirt or anything yeah. or or make yes. uh, had an agenda and yeah. and, and uh, you know Ilzy and all these people just yeah said yes straight away when when shall we meet and it was simple as that and i don't want to you know have spoiler alerts but what was their general take like was um, was there an was there an overall general take or were there really polarizing different opinions of of where the game was at look i think if anyone's listened to my podcast series because what i did was i had all this extra material which i started putting into a podcast and that episode, more episodes have been coming out over the last year or two, and I've just had straight interviews. But there's there's little clues in there, and I think you get the sense that the the older the older guard probably said their opinions about what needs to change and where the problems are. And I think they've said it on the record already. And guys like John Eel, certainly Rob McQueen, and to some degree John O'Neill, had said things that I'd, I'd already heard before. For me, some of the people who had really insightful stuff um, obviously, the probably top of the list and is Ben Darwin, and and there's a lot of Ben's work in in mm -hmm. the documentary, and and we we actually kind of really put forward and give prominence to some of that, but also guys like Rod Kafer. You know, I spoke with Rod, and he was very open. And this was after he'd left, I guess Fox had sort of stepped down, and he was I, I don't know what he's doing now, but you know he was he was very honest and insightful. I thought, and you know, I think sometimes they don't have that opportunity to do that in say you know commentary as you guys know you, you've got a real almost a bit of a script on match day you don't have time for introspection and you know so that's sort of what i i felt was i wanted to do was get a few people that i hadn't heard from before um and brisbane and, and then have it all contrasting together uh to to make up what what you now see in in docker and and is there a is there a solution again i don't want to have a spoiler alert here but <laughs> is there a solution um <laughs> Yeah, look, it's, it's, I, I, I think there are, I think there are things that could be done. Look, I think there are things that that happened, that have happened. They're done. You can't sort of retrace the past, and you can't recreate the past. To be honest with you, but I definitely think there are ways in which, for me, Australian rugby could be more efficient and more um, effective. Even though we've got all these things going against us with rival codes, um, you know, the, the 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 global rugby economy, the complexity around getting a tier three. Um, I think there are small steps that that could be taken, but probably what we have to understand is, and what I believe is that the reason we were so good was not because of a few decisions and things that happened in a one or two year period. I think it took almost a decade or longer for things to come to fruition. And, you know, because the, the rugby 
well, the rugby world globally has changed a lot. It's probably going to take that length of time to see the change we need. Uh, and, and I guess that's not really giving us a, lot, a straight answer, but you know, there are no quick fixes, I think, is mm. the bottom line. Because if there was, I think Rugby Australia would have tried that already. And so when we, when we watch, will we come out? How will we feel when we come out? Will we be depressed? I think people will be a bit disheartened about going, shit, we did sort of do some wrong things. But for me, the silver lining is all the ingredients are there for Australia to be the best in the world again. We, we, it's, it's all there. Not, like we've still, got, we've still got talent. We've still got systems that work, some systems that need a few changing, um, you know, high performance, all this sort of stuff, which I'm not an expert on. I'm just sort of, I guess, talking generally. But in general, all the ingredients are there for us to still be the best in the world. It's just about how we use those ingredients, whereas many other nations don't even have those ingredients. Yeah. And I know that, that, that when the, from the time the camera stops, you've got the, the editing process and then um, and then obviously trying to get it on air. So when 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 did you, when did the camera stop rolling? Who who was the um, like in terms of the people at Rugby Australia? Mm. Did you have you did you speak to any of the current people, or could you only get hold of the past people? Yes, yes, I did. I got a current one. I might sit on that. I might let that one be a little bit of a surprise because I've, yep. I've I've kept I've kept them from the trailer and kept them from any any announcement. Um, yeah, okay. Any any of podcasts, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what the response is to that that interview. But no, I did. I ultimately was able to. And it was huff because this is COVID, right? So we were, I was in London, my cameraman was in Sydney. Um, he had to go in and set up and I had to get on a Zoom and I, he sort of put me on a laptop on a crate and we're sort of doing this sort of <laughs> remote interview and making it feel like it's, um, you know, uh, sort of personal and all that sort of stuff. But no, it was great. And they were very good. You know, and I haven't had any, I, I must, must say that I haven't had any um, pushback from Rugby Australia. They've been very, and I've had to talk to about two or three different people because as I said, people, uh, yeah. who were there when I started the, the film and then left. So they've been very good and very open. I've told them what I'm doing and I've, you know, you know, I, I hopefully they'll see it as again, a, a more, yes, it's a critical piece, but it's also hopefully contributing to something. Is yeah. And I, I, and I think it's, I think everyone realizes it's coming from a good place. Like you, you're not trying to, yeah. to go out there and, and bag people. You just, you're a frustrated rugby fan like the rest of us and you've actually got off your backside and, and done something about it. Yeah, and I mean, from the sound of it, looking for solutions, that's the most important part. Like, as long as we're trying to find solutions to problems that we all, like, it's it's all good and proper if we, you know, we have the interviews and we're asking everyone what the pro if there's a problem, they're all saying, yes, there's a problem. That's that's all well and good. But the fact that we look for solutions to these problems and that mm. that makes it a lot easier for everyone to, to get around and support as well. And was the, had, like, obviously Stan is the new home of rugby at the moment. Mm. Did you approach Stan or did you go straight to Fox? The the minute they were announced, I approached them. Um, but they, I've got to be honest with you, and you know, I don't think they'd be they'd be honest as well. I mean, I've I've spoken to Ben Kimber um, a number of times. Um, I actually met him for coffee early on because I wanted to interview him and Morgan, but we couldn't sort of line up. Uh, look, overall, and and Ben Ben, I must say, Ben did sort of put me in touch with the right people, and I think overall, when they were putting together Stan and they they're packaging it and making it new my thing was sort of almost this retrospective look at you know well yep. that's sort of history let's move forward yep and so i think initially and i think there was sort of i mean an airing and then there were a few other options and that you know the film was ready to probably come out a year ago to be honest with you so i just sort of didn't want to wait anymore and there were a couple other offers so i, I took them and you know look i can be very honest with you i haven't making not going to make much money out of this but that was never really the point anyway 
Mm. Um, it was about making it. And, um, you know, I, and I, I, I got to say, and I know you guys are working for Stan, so I'm not saying this to you know, blow, um, blow air up your asses. I think it's doing a fantastic job in terms of the way it's presenting it. And I, and I say that as a, as a guy watching rugby from London, because I watch, you know, Sky Sport and BT and whatever else. And even Poms that I talked to who sort of get the, the Stan feed um, when the England game, they would go, wow, the commentary was great. The, the cameras are great. The way they shoot it. Like so many people are complimenting mm. it. And I think, you know, to me, that's, that's been huge. And hopefully that will continue. And, and as long as the on-field performances sort of ma mm. match that, I think, you know, it is going to be a great era for the sport um, in terms of the way it's presented. Yeah. Well, I started watching the other day. I was surfing around and found the running game um, on stand, yeah. which I haven't, I haven't seen that for probably oh, 20 or 30 years and, uh, yeah. and to sit back and, and watch that. So it's just, it has become a great resource for, for games. And it's the way the world is now with all this streaming stuff. You can watch it when you want to watch it. So I'm halfway through the running game and then I'm got, there's the African campaign that came out in 1993. So all these old VHS tapes I've got at home that I don't have a yeah. machine to play them on. It's uh, it's yeah. great. You can jump on and watch them on stand. Mate, I do, speak... I do have to mention that I'm talking to a, you know, a fellow documentary filmmaker, sports documentary filmmaker. I, I'd <laughs> probably be remiss not to mention that because you know, the Sudoku documentary is, um, you know, I know. And you talk very... about you, you talk about earning big money. I think we got five hundred dollars between the four of us <laughs> yeah, for that oh, one. Yeah. So, I think so. you spent it all on the uh, on the uh, the uniforms, surely. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think we actually, he spent we went, it all on that plug tonight. We went to Coco's, <laughs> the the four of us, and had had um, had lunch at Coco's. So I think it paid for the beer, and that was about it. But it was um, yeah, but it was good yeah. fun, and that gives a great chance to welcome in Mitch Hardy too as, as well. Tess, you you beat him by a couple of minutes this, this afternoon. But Mitch, nice, nice to see you, Mitch. It's the first time it. Heath Tessman's he made it ever been he online. He made it. Hey, he made it. It's good. Excellent. Uh, it's great to have Matt on board tonight. And, um, geez, I'm looking forward to this. I'm going to have to cuddle up to a good bottle of red to watch the, the documentary, mate, I reckon. So I don't get too you. depressed. And, Matt, when, when, when is it? Like, I know it comes out on Thursday, the, the yeah. 15th of September, but what time? That was now, a, lot of, a good question. Initially, I was thinking it's just, you know, comes out on, on the stroke of midnight. But actually, it does come out at, I think it's straight after the the Bledisloe match, so the first um, screening. I, I'm, because I'm not over, over there, I can't quite tell you how binge works, but I know it's available via binge. But anyone that has Foxtel, Fox Docos has already started scheduling it, and I think it's scheduled a couple of times. So on a couple of times on the fifteenth, a couple of times on the sixteenth, and then I assume it's kind of available on demand, so, you know, thereafter. So so the simple answer is is if you watch the game. Watch the game. Hopefully, it's a great Wallaby win, and then you can, you know, pop over uh, or, or find um, the film straight after the match. And uh, you know, there you go. What a what a Thursday night. <laughs> and if it's Absolutely. not a win, hey, we can um, just watch it as well and get a bit yeah, bitter. Exactly. <laughs> hey Mick, Mick, yeah. I, don't, I, I've, I know I came in late. You've probably already asked this question, but can I just ask a question just in case you haven't? Yes, absolutely. So Matt, what are you hoping people? talk about when they walk if they've sat down to watch your show what do you hope they're saying at the end i hope they're i hope they're talking and understanding more about how difficult it is to administer rugby globally um how we still have a lot of talent we still have great players but perhaps we we need to restructure things a little bit more um i want them to think that hopefully rugby is not like not all is lost like all the elements as i said to the 
the boys earlier. All the ingredients are there for us to be successful. And, you know, there are people who are probably, you know, I think talk, talking more broadly and perhaps more hopefully saying that. But then I think there are people who do actually know what they're talking about, have got an idea and say, look, we can be, you know, we can be good. And these are probably current players and current people who are working the game. They're just, you know, it's the usual story that rugby, the business of rugby is really hard, but also the way rugby is structured in Australia is not, um, it's not the best blueprint. And, you know, Rod Kafer actually makes that point where he said, you know, if you're, if you're sort of drawing up a, a mud map of how to, structure rugby in australia you wouldn't use the system we currently have but it's been really hard for us to make the changes the structural mm. changes that need to happen yeah, yeah. And, so uh, do you think it'll inspire people to get re-engaged or you know that it might be that person that's walked away from the game or been disengaged with it do you think it'll inspire people to go you know what bugger it, i'm getting back down to the local club and doing my bit i, I hope so it's it's had that impact on i know like my brother is probably one of those people i, I call i call him I call them the lost fans of Australian rugby because mm. my brother, you know, played rugby at school, played rugby at club, um, watched the Wallabies, bought the gear, went to a couple of World Cups, went to matches. And at some point, I don't know, maybe around 2009, 10, 11, maybe after the 2011. Yeah, he didn't come with us to the World Cup in 2011. I remember he was a bit too busy. And you could see it was, and, you know, up until a few years ago, he was barely watching them again. He started yeah, watching right. them again. You know, he's in Perth, so. He went to the test yeah. um, this year and you know, enjoyed that. So I think, you know, that's just one person, but I think that there is a large percentage of people that grew up loving the game, still loving it, but just for whatever reason, just a bit disenchanted with, you know, if not the Wallabies sort of inconsistency, just um, perhaps the way the game is, is you know, is uh, presented to them. Hmm. And, and hopefully that can, you know, we can still get those people back. And you're, you're, you know, as you mentioned, you're over in London. So the Bledisloe, it's close to a set out if it hasn't been sold out um, so far. They had two sold out tests in Sydney this year. Is is and I'll throw this to all three of you. Is has rugby turned a corner? Do you think, or am I getting a bit ahead of myself? You want me to go in first? I, I, I'd yep. say there is definitely a. I think we're looking at, a, I think the last two years have definitely been a sort of a changing of the guard. I don't know if it's a watershed moment, but it's certainly, a, I think if you 10, 20 years time, you'll look back at this was a period of time where broadcasters changed, you know, the, the, you know, the world changed, the competition changed in terms of super rugby and maybe who knows another year or two, the, the international season is going to change. So I think there's definitely a period of change. Um, whether or not that is going to, maintain i think comes down to whether or not the administration can make the right decisions over the next five years because i think once we have that world cup home world cup that's where you want everything to be peaking everything to be brilliant and the and and the the goodwill and the interest that we had back in 2000 2003 that kind of mm. then got frittered away mm. that's going to be back there again for i think from the general sports public in australia and we need to make sure we try and capture as much of it as we can and then that becomes hopefully that that new generation of kids that pick up a ball or get interested or, or returning fans that realize why they love the game mm. and, and we make it easy for people to engage again because i think anyone can go to a local club and i think that's great because that's pretty much what's kept rugby i think surviving yeah. is local community scene it's that how do you get more people watching super rugby matches how do you get everyone buying tickets and tuning into the wallabies and i think that's sort of the area that's sort of and perhaps then that third tier the elusive third tier 
um you know where where do you what, what do you do with that how does that is it going to be made made for a profit or is it just a you know a bit like sheffield shield cricket no one cares about it or watches it but that's where all our best cricketers come through you know that system do we need something like that and mm. i don't know i just feel they're the critical things that will make a change over the mm. next sort of five ten years and Mitch, what about you? Do you has it turned a corner? Can, can do you sense it or? Oh, I think <clears throat> depends on which corner it's turning. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I I don't know if it's turned the corner just yet. But every now and then, it just gives us that little glimpse of window in the potential that it could could once again be. And if I use the example, don't want to steal your ma- mailbag this week or any other your big headlines for tonight, Mick. Don't, but don't you steal my mailbag. If uh, if we use the ladies as an example. Oh, you're stealing my mailbag. Oh, sorry, mate. No, go on. Go but, on. you know, if you look at that, like, you know, the, the silverware is coming in, the success stories are there. It's it's inspiring the next generation of um, young girl who wants to play for Australia. Um, we need to we need to really get behind those stories and really promote the bejesus out of them. I mean, they can't they can't be sitting, you know, five ten pages into the local newspaper, or they can't be sort of buried in your social media feeds. It needs to be front and centre. Those sort of real good news stories. And I think, you know, we we probably don't have the talent that we need to be in the top two three countries in the world at the moment. But it's it can't be that far away. Surely you just get that sense that something is changing some of these good young players that have come through. And if you use Fraser McWright as an example of that, you know, you'd, you'd like to think that in another two years, Fraser McWright is in, you know, the top sort of tiers of back rowers around the world. Um, you know, Taniella Tupo, probably in the top tier of front rowers around the world. And you start to have, you know, it's really interesting on Segway. I started reading Eddie Jones' book the other day, Leadership, a brand new book. And he talks about, his uh, aspirations to not only have a great England team, but to have players in his team that would be picked in any World 15. Mm-hmm. So, so that was he was taking it to the next level. And I think that's that's where we've got to go for Australian rugby. We're going to have players playing for Australia that would be picked in a World 15. Yeah. When we get to that point, we're cooking with gas. Yeah, and Tess, you're obviously still you've just come out of that professional kind of era. What what are you thinking? Oh, I think. I think I think the boys are right. It's definitely an upward trend, I'm, and I'm not going to bore everyone and <laughs> and keep talking on about it. But like we all think it's heading in the right direction. It's just I think it's it's a bit two steps forward, one step back. That's all. So I feel like we are going slowly but steadily. But um, yeah, I think every every time we feel like we get some success, then uh, yeah. we we get some. Uh, some some failure, but which is usually you know the failure is just magnified, unfortunately, and that's mm. why it just feels like that can or it can feel like that's all that's happening right now. Yeah. Well, Matt, it's been terrific catching up with you. I I can't wait to watch um, the show to, on Thursday night. Gold digger, the search for Australian rugby. Congratulations for for actually doing it. Um, I'm wrapped for you that it has it has got a home that we can see it on air. As you said, a lot just end up in the bottom of someone's drawer. So congratulations on that. That's a, a big step a lot of people don't realise. Um, and look, I, I hope it goes gangbusters for you. And, and I hope, you know, the next time we talk, you know, we're back in the glory days of Australian rugby. Oh, yeah, mate. I, I really do hope so. And I, I think I should just end on the note that I've, I've touched upon this in a podcast episode, just picking up on what we got, we're talking about there and the change of the guard. I think historically, if you take a long-term view, in most rugby countries whenever there's been a big push it's come from not the whole 
nation, but usually a region. So like Leinster at the moment are really big behind Ireland's rise. If you look at back at the history of Australia getting good, Queensland in the seventies was pretty influential, but of course, you know, Mitch's, Mitch's team, the Brumbies in the nineties was another big influence. So it would not surprise me for the next 10, 15 years, if Australia rises, it might be because of the influence of a province. And I really hope it's WA mm. because it's got all the ingredients there, you know, a good benefactor, one of the best sort of home, home, you know, crowds you could ever want in Australian rugby, you know, small little country, a small little um, bubble where everyone can kind of work off each other. No rugby league. Like it's got all these things. And I think with what WA rugby and what the force have done in the last two years, again, as an outsider and as a, you know, Perth boy, it's exciting to see. And I sort of hope that that maybe becomes something that actually almost a bit of a upstart mm. way uh, travels upwards. So, you know, that that's something I've just, I really do hope in, in the coming years that, WA sort of becomes that next sort of injection that drives everything upwards. Yep, I think that'd be fantastic. And I'd love that as well. So, look, Matt, um, again, thank you very much. Hope it all goes well. And thanks again for your time on the Rugby Wrap. Thanks, boys. Love being here. All the best. Cheers. Thanks, thanks, Matt. thanks Matt. Thank you. Bye. Looking forward to Thursday. So, that was Matt Durrant, the writer, producer, and editor of Gold Digger, the Search for Australian Rugby that airs on Thursday night on Fox Docos, so that'll be on Foxtel and on Binge. And um, look, as I said, I, I can't wait. I think it'll be fantastic. Yeah, how good, Mick. Like it, and, you know, hopefully this is a sort of a documentary that's a catalyst that people will not only watch the, the once, but they'll watch time and time again. Um, and, you know, it'd be really interesting to see the, the conversations and people's opinions in his documentary that he interviews along the way. So, yeah, it's going to be a real interesting sort of pick apart of Australian rugby. Yeah. And great that he's um, a former Calamunda Bull. Yeah. <laughs> local, local Perth boy and everything. <laughs> which is, uh, which is great. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. No. And, and then speaking of locals, we had the Fortescue Premier Grade Grand Final on the weekend with Wests. They did the almost the impossible from that round 13 where they scraped in at Kingsway a try in the 84th minute to knock Wanneroo out then they didn't lose a game and then beat University in that grand final. That grand final was everything that we all expected it to be. Yeah, it was terrific. And and to be, be frank, Nick, like West were the best team in those last six or seven weeks of yeah. the season. Like yeah, they, they were, were they were the benchmark. They did not miss a beat. And they they you know, to all credit to the coaches across the season, they built their they built their depth in that first grade team across the year. I mean, they it was really unfortunate a guy like Kaino Gudgeon didn't get mm. to play in the granny because he was just a standout for them all year. And they built their depth and then they built their momentum and then they just capped it off beautifully with an absolute dominant um, performance up front and just um, thoroughly deserved all the accolades and, and winning the flag for this year. It was, um, and, you know, it was a, a real battle. UWA was still in it right for a couple of minutes to go and um, they just didn't take their opportunities and, didn't play their best rugby and therefore they got beaten on the day. It's as simple, yeah. simple as that. that was 11, 11 tries, seven, seven tries to four. So I think yeah. they certainly deserve it until uni's tries uh, yeah. against, against the, the runner, runner play. play. Yeah. So West, you know, West, West were the better side, but it was, again, it was a, it was a great contest. Um, yeah. Right up to that last like a minute, uni were on the attack 10 meters out and Marley Pierce stole the ball and, you know, coast to coast. And then he ended up scoring the try down the other end to to absolutely seal it. So yeah, it was just an excellent game of rugby, though, wasn't it? Like 
it, it was two teams that were both high on confidence and they were both backing themselves all day. And it just one came over the top just a little bit stronger near the end. Like, oh, it was it was, it was one of the that, that whole day, the whole the whole grand final day. I'm still buzzing from it. It was yeah. uh, it was such an entertaining day. The the quality of games across the board, and then to finish with that one, what a way to finish the season over here. Yeah, and then the test the um the West forward pack were the difference in the end. Do you think? I think they were like I I because I I mean I don't know how many times we even spoke about you know Tinamana or any of the back three from West Scarborough even getting the ball <laughs> so yeah. that that showed how tightly they ended up playing that that game and then the advantage of that as well is that you know UWA they've got such strong outside backs with with Clay with Tapene with with Jacket outside center as well. Um, and it kind of took them out of the game then as well. Like they couldn't be involved because you know they're they're all strong defenders. They're strong over the ball in those wide channels. So it really didn't give them a chance to be involved. But I mean, it was just it was just West, like their head coach Daniel was was talking about as well. Like he's blooded guys through the years, so they had that depth. Like Mitch just touched on, but and that meant they were able to call on guys like guys that were out there in their forward pack were able to just go hard, really empty the tank. And when they were starting to get gas, they had those good fresh mm. reserves to come on and just keep that level of intensity going. You know, with someone like with Marley, with um, with Marley coming on there late and still just being able to to just keep the tempo up. Yeah, and Mitch Jer- Jeremy Thrush, former All Black, former Western Force player, that was his first foray into coaching. Do you think he'll be addicted, hooked for life after that season? Yeah, well, I reckon tactically, tactically, he got it absolutely spot on. Like you look at the way. They played their set piece and their execution and what what have you. It was um, yeah, it was a masterclass, and I think um, yeah. And he, the good thing about Thrushy, when you look at him running around with his water bottles and his bib and all that stuff, he, he's he's loving it. Like he's yeah. got a smile on his face and he's actually loving being part of that, contributing from a tactical coaching, mentoring, whatever you want to call it, point of view. And he had a couple. Of, he's got a couple of young locks there at West that he can mentor and work with. Um, so guys like him have got a lot to offer, a lot to mm. offer. And I think that West side, I think half a dozen of them are, are Colts age, I think. Um, I remember. Yeah, there's about, so, yeah, there's about six or so. Yeah, good blend of youth and experience. There's a few of those guys are in the Perth Gold squad um, that will go on and go away in a few weeks' time for a few mm. games down in Adelaide. So, yep, good, so could, good base to grow from West. Yeah. There'll be a power power club for the next four, yeah. five, ten years, I reckon. Yeah. Now they're going through they're coming into potentially a new new era. They mm. could be the next cot. The going dynasty. back to back to back to back. <laughs> yeah. No, well, yeah. He's calling it now. <laughs> he's gone early, but but I think yeah he's right. I think it's uh they're building a bit of a dynasty got yeah so look it'll be interesting to see but well done to them it was a fantastic um, fantastic game and a great result. And then Tess you mentioned that the whole day was great in division two um, Wanneroo, they faced off against uh, the minor premiers Palmyra uh, hadn't, and Wanneroo took home the glory in a type out of 35-31. So Wanneroo, after the disappointment of being knocked out by Wests, then they went on to win. Nettie's took home reserve grade, 28-5 over Pally uh, and Hugo Wilborn scoring a, a couple of tries in, in that match, which was great. And then in the women's game, again, you talk about tight ones, despite not beating them in the regular season, the Kozlo Sheagulls winning the Alcohol Think Again women's final, 13 points to 12 over the Kalamunda Queens. And uh, Trillian Pomeray scored two tries for Kalamunda, but the Sue Roberts Trophy winner, Kendra Fell, she was the difference with the um, with the boot and her 
penalty goal with about five to go was the one that sealed it. So it was a terrific weekend. So well done to Wanneroo for hosting and well done to Rugby WA because it was uh, just yeah a great spectacle all day and a great atmosphere out there as well. It was noisy, was lots of colour, lots of people. It was great. Yeah, and, and and tip of the hat to Wanneroo, like you've just said, for hosting as well. I think they managed to jag, I think it was four grand finals through the day. Yeah. I think it was like the 13s or 14s in the um, under 18s. The that the championship team and the third grade team as well. So, yeah, great day to be a Roo dog up there, up yep. Kingsway. And Pally with a couple as well. And yeah, Mitch, that 18s game that went down to the wire as well. Yeah, that was a cracker. North Coast versus Joondalup. Um, North Coast boys had it in the bag. They had a nice little lead there, and they were they were chahooing cock a hoop. And then Joondalup just came back with uh, a try right on the bell, and the guy had to snaffle it from the sideline to win it. And he did just that. So, um, yeah, massive, massive win there in the 18. So, yeah, it was a great day out, beautiful weather, uh, and it was great rugby. Yep. And then uh, up in Queensland, Heath Testman. So that wraps up the premiership in WA. Queensland, they've always been a little bit slow. Last. So they're, Last. They're, they're, <laughs> they're still going. What's the situation up there? Where are we at? Oh, so it was the um, – it was the – the age-old battle UQ versus versus Brothers Rugby Club to to fight out for that last spot in the grand final uh, against against West Bulldogs this weekend and, and the mighty Red Heavies they got up over over uh, over the filth. Um, it was, ended up being a pretty comfortable win in the end. It was about five tries to two by the end of it, um, and unfortunately, it was James O'Connor. He went off with an injured ankle about or oh, just before the ten minute mark. So that definitely would have had an effect on on brothers, unfortunately. Though, admittedly, I think they had about three other top grade, first grade fly halves in their team as well. So they would have been covered pretty well for tens. But um, yeah, good victory for the uh, for the mighty red heavies, and then they're they're off to the big dance this weekend against good Elvia Prinzu, ex Perth Spirit coach, who's uh, taking control of of West, and he's getting them all fired up for the big grand final this weekend. So that's on Saturday. Uh, Sunday, I believe, at Suncorp Stadium. Okay. But, um, hey, I have been wrong before. (laughs) Very, very rarely. (laughs) I'll I'll do my research quickly. That's the Queensland competition. And then in another game, which is taking place on Thursday night, after you've done your shopping, you can sit down and watch the Wallabies taking on the All Blacks for the Bledisloe Cup. The Wallabies have made eight changes to their starting 15. Uh, we'll just quickly go through the side and then we'll have a quick chat about it. So the front row of Slipper Parecki and Alan Alatoa, Jed Holloway and Matt Phillip in the second row. The back row, the all-Victorian-born Rob Leota, Pete Samu and Rob Valentini. Jake Gordon and Bernard Foley, the new 9-10 combination. Uh, Marika Corabetti and Tom Wright on the wings. Lalakai Fakedi, Len Ikatau in the centres and Andrew Kellaway is the fullback. And then on the bench, Fainga, CO. Uh, Fa'am Suli, Swain and McWright are the forwards and Nick White, Reese Hodge and Jordan Pattaya are the replacements. So, Mitch, we'll start with you. The new 9-10 combination, Gordon and Foley, surprised or expected? So, uh, did I see a picture of Nick White in hospital or something? Is he out injured? Is that right? No, he's no. on the bench. White's he's on the on, bench. He's on the bench. That might have been a meme from his Adelaide performance. <laughs> Oh yeah, you're probably right there, Mickey. I I, oh, I don't mind Jake Gordon. I'm not. I, I don't mind it the way he plays his game. He's he's pretty uh, physical. He likes to have a snipe. 
he's he's very skillful. Um, I don't mind Jack Gordon at nine. I, I'm a bit of a fan, but God, fingers crossed for Bernard Foley at ten, mate. Fingers <laughs> what, crossed. What's uh, what are our options at ten? I don't know. Because Lola Cino's injured. Hodge or Curly Beal besides that? Is that all, they're, they're uh, only other options right now? You know, this weekend know, we're going to Donaldson or someone else who's been called in. Yeah, I know it's a big ask, but geez, I'd still would have gone for a Edmund or a Donaldson. Just just go, you know what? I'm gonna roll the dice here. I'm Try gonna go for a yeah. I'm gonna go for a Waratah 19 combination. Mm. We talk no. about cohesion combinations all the time. Benny Darwin's favorite theme. Why not go for a combination? They're not That's... getting better any better sitting in the grandstand watching, are they? No. no. Try no experience there. You never know. I mean, you think about the number 10 debuts, and I'll go back to the 90s because that's when I I remember when Scotty Bowen had his number 10 debut, everyone went, Ugh. he came out and had a blinder. Tim Wallace, when he had his Wallaby debut as a number 10, he came out and had a blinder. And that was in the days of you had the Michael Liners and all those guys that were pretty damn good. But, um, you know, no one's ever let us down when the coaches backed him in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah I... I find it really surprising. And I think Ed Med or Donaldson, um, why not? What, what have we got to lose? We haven't won the thing for 19 years. It's not like yeah. we're desperately trying yeah, to hang I can't on to believe it. They didn't, and I can't believe they didn't pick your mate Vunavalu, Mick. I know. So so what's he doing? What's he doing? <laughs> Massage therapist. Oh, the, the poor bloke. He's taking up space on the bed, that's for sure. <laughs> he just must be thinking, just please let me play a game of footy. It's just... Um, <laughs> It's just extraordinary. And then what about McWright gone to the bench? Do yeah. you think that's – because apparently the All Blacks have picked a, a pretty big pack. So do you think that we've just beefed ours up? With oh, I, think, I think we've equal parts beefed it up. But I think I think like when we were talking about that last game, like physically you could see Fraser might was just probably found a little bit wanting against that South African pack. You can see what we've done with this Wallabies pack is we've, we've got like our kind of not, – not only our – one of our most physical packs, our most powerful and mobile packs, like a really strong attacking pack. Like obviously Jed Holloway, he's played at six for the Wallabies all season so far, spent the season for the Tars in the second row. So he slots straight into it. Matty Phillip as well, who's one of the stronger ball carriers, like plays well above his weight when he is out there. And then, you know, with that six, seven, eight combination, I don't think we lose anything, Mm. but we just gain a bigger physical presence around the field. Like we don't have that traditional on baller like Fraser McWright would provide or Michael Hooper would provide, but we just get a lot more physicality, a lot more power, like with that power running game through the midfield, a little bit more combativeness, which will, which I think we'll probably need against this, this All Blacks team. And, and as, as we go deeper into this rugby championship as well. So the big question is, can Australia win? Or no, not can they, because that's obviously, yes, they can. Will they? Will they? Hmm. Oh, Thursday night in Melbourne? Yes. Yeah, after they've been shopping. So you reckon they can get up? They'll yes. still be in a good enough mood to go shopping afterwards. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm going to back him in this Thursday night in Melbourne, Mick. Okay. I think, I think it's, going to be, it's going to be an awesome atmosphere there at Marvel. Like a little bit further away, but the, the crowd should still be good. Um, and hey, look, as much as we've spoken about the Wallabies' inconsistencies this year, the All Blacks have have shown just as much as well. Mm. So whatever team comes on their game, 
and I'm 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 not I'm pretty pumped to see this back row, all Melbourne back row, all the boys like the Burner boys. I'll be going out hard to represent oh, yeah. their city pretty well. They're they're a proud bunch of ki- kids. So um, yeah, I'm oh, I'm going to back us in as well. <laughs> <laughs> I I I would like to as well, but I just think that the with the whole rugby championship, I think that player I don't not play, I think a lot of teams don't really get up for it because it. It happens all the time, but I think the Bledisloe is something that the Kiwis they treasure that and they cherish that and they love the record that they've got. And I think this is their grand final this year. This these Bledisloe Cup. So I just think that they come off a good win last week, and I, I just think they're going to be up and about for this one. So it, look, it should be a cracking game. I hope I'm completely wrong, but I just have this sense that they want to come out and. Um, dominate but i do like our back row i think that's a great back row big abrasive take it right to them and match it with them physically so well, i hope i'm wrong but let's hope we can all watch the doco gold digger with a smile on our face after that uh after that test match on thursday night so that that starts at 7 45 eastern time so 5 45 here in the west which then takes us to the mailbag and Mitch, you did touch on them early. The Australian women's seven side have created a piece of history, achieving a historic triple crown. They defeated New Zealand 24-22 in the Rugby Sevens World Cup. So they've got the, they won the World Series, the Commonwealth Games gold medal uh, early in this year, and then the World Cups are the first team to do that, male or female. Uh, breaks a 13-year drought between World Cup success um, and a great result for them. And Shani Williams, M- MVP, and she's off now to the 15s. Rugby World Cup. And if that can't get any better, there was some news during the week that came out that uh, when the Australian women's team found out that the Madagascar team only had one strip to play and train in, the Sevens girls gave them their away strip to use as a, as a training gear. So they're ticking every box. They are a marketing dream. Will rugby use them, though, Mitch Hardy, as a marketing tool? Or will they, lo- uh, well- or will they let the opportunity slide by? Someone someone needs to put their thinking caps on and somehow put them on centre stage at whatever opportunity they can to get them front and centre. We should have the elbow, the Prime Minister, handing out OAMs or something. I don't know, but we should be, be able to do some sort of recognition event where these girls are recognised for their achievements because it's unheard of to do that sort of three-peat in Australian sport, let alone mm-hmm. rugby. Um, so we need to celebrate that success, celebrate it loudly, and you know, really give these girls the accolades they deserve at home mm. in Australia. I mean, you, you can just see how much it means to them by the footage you see on social media and all the rest of it, but also recognise the contributions from the off-field side of things as well with the um, decision to swap back over the coaching staff. That was a big call, and it was the right call, and it's obviously led to a, a catalyst of performance. And mm. I'll say to him, blue in the face, can we please get some of those girls to play 15-a-side rugby? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be because, so much better. <laughs> because the, the Sevens women, they should be seen in the same light as the Matilda, the Matildas, the women's, the Australian yeah. women's soccer team. But, yeah. but and they've done, they've done better than the Matildas, but for some reason they, they just, I don't know why they're not being pushed and marketed well enough, and I know Australian. It's obviously a minor sport, but Australian water polo—they made the, the same mistake when the women won that gold medal in two thousand. 
Mm. Everyone was talking about that game. Everyone was talking about that team and the sport and and water polo did nothing with it. And it's just, it's remained this this very minor sport where obviously Rugby Australia's got more resources than water polo. They're incredibly marketable. The, the athletes themselves are marketable. marketable. And yep. we've got someone like Mark Taylor still flogging air conditioners and he retired in 1999. How, <laughs> how some of these women aren't, aren't when, why we're not seeing them, I just, I can't, understand i can't get my head around it yeah let's get let's get a bit of a marketing guru like yourself behind them mickey and get them out there and what happened what know? happened to the marketing pigeon the rugby australia marketing pigeon what happened? did he, he left the building he must have who's in charge building. there now i don't know but it's just it's just they're sitting there and they're so marketable they're yeah. they're, they're yeah. great personalities they they play a great style they they're obviously nice people because of the way they do and it's only a small group of people appreciating it. I'll tell you what, though, be... those girls must be exhausted after coming from a Commonwealth Games to a World Series tournament into a World Cup into tournament. World Cup, yeah. They've had a massive few months yeah. when they'd Absolutely. probably be going, you know what, we'd love all the accolades. Can we just have a, a couple I'll of weeks off? <laughs> Time out. Time yeah. out. Did, they've in, been training we're... that. Did you see the the term that Tom Carter, who's their SNC, yeah. the ex-Waratah, ex him and the yeah. girls, they termed the uh, – term crunning they've been crunning. training that hard they've been crunning which is running yeah. so much you just cry because you're running but, oh, really? but it's being able to embrace that and yeah. like be able to push through that and enjoy the crunning so yeah. give him, yeah. we'll give him a few weeks off crunning i don't know if, i don't know if tom carter will be giving them too much time off because they're um they're absolutely amazing and and more people in australia should know that and in, in the media like they're just they're hidden you just don't unless you're following rugby facebook pages or rugby twitter things you just you don't hear anything about it well, why, why could – I mean, it's not like the – why can't, you know, Charlotte Catholic be up there like a Sam Kerr kind of thing then as well? I, I don't know. Like, she should we talk about the soccer and the Matildas, but it's not like – soccer's not that much. It's not a bigger – is it a bigger sport than, than the rugby here in Australia? Like, it's a comparable-sized yeah. sport. We're both on the same no. level. Obviously, that the um, the Women's A-League gets a little bit more airtime and it's, mm. it's, all, it's a bigger organisation, but still at the it, same time, yeah. why – yeah, and because Sam Kerr plays most of her footy overseas, overseas anyway, at Chelsea. So Chelsea, so anyway, I don't know, I don't know, but it just yeah, look, well done to them. They're they're fantastic and they're great ambassadors, and and I hope more gets made of them. In other news, the Western Force have confirmed a partnership with newly rebadded Japanese club. I think it's Urayasu D Rocks. Which uh, and they've got a two-match series in November, so the deal sees the Force and the D Rocks. They used to be the Shining Arcs. They've got a relationship uh-huh. that's designed to help grow the game, Perth and over there in Japan. So they're going to take Simon Cronall lead a 32-player squad to Japan for two games on November six and November twelve, which is great. And they're the third now team to confirm a preseason tour to Japan. The Reds. And the Melbournes, uh, Melbourne Rebels, they've got matches against Panasonic Wild Knights and the Kintetsu Liners, respectively. But, yeah, great opportunity for the force to um, get up against the D-Rocks in November. Yeah, uh, a lot of the franchises are organising their off-season tours and competition elements to bolster their squads. So good to see the force um, following suit. And any games in that off-season period is going to be good for Simon Cron to um, fine-tune his squad. And Obviously, be, there's still a fair bit of recruitment still to go, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it'd be interesting so. to see, because you know how we spoke last week about the 
the Rebels have got that tournament where the the best guys from the club comp get to play against the Rebels, and the Queenslanders are doing the, the same thing. Queensland do it as well. And they're they're picking a squad. Obviously, the majority will be the contracted players, but they're giving taking some of these uncontracted club players with them. It'd be great, and I haven't heard if the Western Force are doing something like that, but it'd be great if some club players who've done well this year, maybe mm-hmm. even, you know, two or three, get to go on that tour. Because, and I think, so where uh, Powder won the um, PG Hampshire Award, and I think we mentioned this last year, surely that that should be an automatic um, something a ticket. With, with the Western Force. Yeah, mm. you're the best player in the club comp, you're on the plane, you're coming to Japan with us. Oh, it may. It make any arguments for me, mate. <laughs> it makes like, sense. You just go. That's that's that should be automatic. They should. He should just be given. He's going off to play Perth Gold, um, but that should be automatic from my mind, Nick. They should be saying, right? We did. Everyone knows that Australian rugby needs big number eights. Yep. There's one right there. Wins the PG Hampshire and has played he's well. In the system played well. Yep. He's not a muppet. He's yep. well spoken. He's respectful. Why wouldn't you just give him a wider training contract straight off the bat to say this is what we're about? Yep. I mean, the, the force have to bolster their back row anyway because mm. they've lost Stander and they lost Fergus Lee Warner. They've you know they've got Anstey there and um, they've obviously still got Kane Kateka and, and Ollie Callan. But you know, geez, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I don't want to tell Simon Cron how to do his job, but no, but I, I should I, be looking I, at him. <laughs> you wouldn't, you wouldn't mind them have a little bit of a chat to some of those D Rocks players when they're over there as well, though. With uh, Liam Gill playing in the back over there, yeah. and I believe Brady McCaskill's still that's his club as well. So he's a Perth oh, boy that Brady. got away, yeah, um, yeah. getting playing in front of them. A few other and yep. a few other Western Force players um, running around for the for the D Rocks as well. Anaru Radingi and Nikito Yamato right. as well, mm. guys who have both played. Over here, and another little lesser-known guy who plays for Tonga now is Ralph Lau. So um, yeah, he's having that's right. He's having a run around. So it'll be look that'll be that'll be great, and I think it's great that these clubs are doing that. It's it's great the Western Force have got the thing with Montpellier, but I think the Japanese thing, I think that that could work incredibly well for the Western Force and all the, all the club sides. But it's great the Western Force are um, jumping on that bandwagon as well. And then the final point, um, it was just a bit of an interesting one I saw during the week. Springbok fly half Elton Dianchi's has been sent home from Argentina uh, ahead of their championship match because there was a media reports about an affair that he was having with the team's dietitian. And they said no team protocols were breached, but the individuals returned to South Africa to eliminate any distractions to the team preparations for the test against Argentina. So that's a bit of spicy news coming out of the Springbok camp. So so the... the, the (laughs) The, the two that were involved with each other were both put on a plane and sent out of here together as well. <laughs> together, yeah, <laughs> to, a, to a room. I gave them a hotel room <laughs> and said, you're out of here. So that was a, uh, an interesting one. But anyway, that was the end of the mailbag tonight, a fairly short mailbag. But look, that'll do us um, tonight. I thought it was great to catch up with Matt. And I, I just yeah, said, I'm I really looking forward to seeing that and well done to him. That, that was a big effort done over a couple of years off his own bat to – to make that effort and great that Foxtel's decided to to give that some air. Yeah. And outstanding. Yeah. Outstanding, Mickey. And a nice it'll be a nice way to segue into the Bledisloe Cup season and wind out the club season. Yep. And so for some people, they'll be heading to watch Dan Carter speaking at the height. Or they'll have the Bledisloe Cup, Dan Hart, Dan Carter at the height, and then straight into Gold Digger. So it's a it's a rugby fest on Thursday afternoon. Are you also at the height, Mick? 
I'll also be at the height. Yes, I'll be hanging out with um, hanging out with Dan. Dan Carter. Oh, yeah. just hanging out with the big big hanging guns the again. Big dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you and DC. And DC. So, hey, Tessman, great to see you. Well done on the weekend to both uh, you and Mitch. That was um, that was a good fun call that one. So, uh, well done for that one. And enjoy the Queensland Grand Final Test. Mm-hmm. Who you got? Who you going for? Oh come on! We don't we don't need to ask. That we don't question. need to go there. That's a we hypothetical, don't need to go. <laughs> hypothetical question. Mitch, good to see you. Thanks again. Yes, mate. I love love it. It's always good, mate. But we just we're going to have to have a break soon. When's our off season coming up? Well, I think we're having one. I think we might be yeah. having one. We'll um, yeah. we, we might do a couple of little cameos, but pretty much that pretty much wraps up the main yeah, part yeah. of the season. No, it's been a big long rugby season for us. We've got a lot. We've done a lot. No, it's good been positive pretty. feedback. Some good, some bad. Can't keep everyone happy. No, we take it all. We take it all. So thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thank you to all our guests. Thanks to everyone for their support. Uh, It's been a fantastic season and we look forward to your company next time on The Rugby Lounge.